Numbers 32. While you're turning there, I have a story for you. A teenager lost his contact lens while playing basketball in his driveway. After a fruitless search, he told his mother the lens was nowhere to be found. Anybody been in this situation? Older parents? Nowhere to be found. Undaunted, she went outside and in a few minutes returned with the lens in her hand. I really looked hard for that, Mom, said the teenager. How'd you manage to find it? She said this, we weren't looking for the same thing. You were looking for a piece of plastic, and I was looking for 50 bucks. <laughs> My dad always used to say to me, go upstairs and find this, usually in the garage. So I would walk up and look and say, Dad, I can't find it. And he said, if it had a $20 bill attached to it, you'd find it. So I'd go up there, and I would imagine that I'm finding $20. And sure enough, every single time, I would find it. And the same, and actually, that's some advice for my wife. I just thought of that just now. My wife will say, would you find this for me? <laughs> Specifically, in the kitchen. I'll open the cupboards, and I'll just look. I can't find it, dear. She'll walk over, reach up, push something aside, and grab it. Like, you could have just told me where it was. <laughs> Happens all the time. Here's the, here's the deal. Most of us, or all of us, excuse me, has a motivation. Every one of us has a motivation to do something. The problem is it's different. Motivation is different for every person. So let me ask you this question. What motivates you? What gets you up in the morning? Hunger motivates you to... Thank you. We have one person that understands what's going on here. Hunger motivates you to eat. Thirst motivates you to drink. Fatigue motivates you to sleep. Heat, all of us know about heat this last week. Heat motivates us to cool off, jump in a pool, find some air conditioning, something. We all have motivation. Motivation monopolizes our mentality. Motivation monopolizes our mentality. When I'm hungry, all I can think about is eating. I get hangry. You better get out of my way. Driving to a restaurant, if I'm hungry, people tick me off. Get out of the way so I can get to the restaurant. Hurry up with the food so I can eat. You get hangry. Motivation monopolizes our mentality. Our mentality is keyed in on eating. Our mentality is keyed in on drinking. It's as if we can't think about anything else. Motivation monopolizes our mentality. I believe every one of us has a natural, God-given motivation. If you think about hunger, that's natural. That's a God-given motivation. If you think about thirst, that's natural. That's a God-given motivation. But I think spiritually all of us have a God-given motivation. It is what we do with that motivation that will determine how much we do for Christ. The song fit in so perfectly this morning. For the cause of Christ. I want my life to be for the cause of Christ. Listen, what we do with the motivation that God has given us will determine how much we do for God. Psychology Today, a website, defined motivation as this. 
Motivation is the desire to act and move toward a goal. The desire to act or move toward a goal. It is the difference between waking up before dawn to pound the pavement or lazing around the house all day. It is the crucial element in setting and obtaining one's objectives. This is what I thought was interesting. And research shows that people can influence their own levels of motivation. So we have the opportunity to influence what level of motivation we have. You realize that if you hunger, you can push that motivation aside. You can squelch that. You can push that down. If you thirst, you can say, no, I'm not going to drink. If I'm tired, you can say, no, I'm going to stay awake because I need to get something done. You have the opportunity to influence the motivation. And that's what I want to get across to you today is this. We can influence our levels of motivation. We can do it. So what God-given motivation do we have? What God-given motivation are we going to work through? How are we going to use that motivation in order to do something for Christ? So I want to give you three words, three words to help you establish and maintain your motivation so that you can maintain your focus in living for the cause of Christ. Numbers chapter 32. I'm going to read a lengthy passage. The title of the message this morning is, What Makes You Tick? What makes you tick? I want to read a lengthy passage, but it's a story. So stay with me, and I think you'll understand where we're going with this as we read Numbers 32. Look at verse 1. The Bible says this. Now, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle. When they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that behold, the place was a place for cattle. The children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and Eleazar the priest and unto the princes of the congregation, saying, Adaroth and Dibon and Jazer and Nimrah and Heshbon and Elilila and Shibem and Nebo and Beon, even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle, and thy servants have cattle. Wherefore said they, if we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for possession. And bring us not over Jordan. And Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall ye sit here? And wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them? Thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up the valley of Eskel and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go into the land which the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled the same time, and he swore, saying, Surely none of the men that came up out of Egypt from twenty years old and upward shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. Save Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. And behold, ye are risen up in your father's stead. An increase, you're, you're, you're adding on top of that an increase of sinful men to augment yet the fierce anger of the Lord toward Israel. 
For if ye turn away from after him, he will yet again leave them in the wilderness, and ye shall destroy all this people. Verse 16. And they came near unto him and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our cattle and cities for our little ones, but we ourselves will go ready armed before the children of Israel until we have brought them unto their place, and our little ones shall dwell in the fenced cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return unto our houses until the children of Israel have inherited every man his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on yonder side Jordan or forward. Because our inheritance is fallen to us on this side Jordan, eastward. And Moses said unto them, if ye will do this thing. If ye will go armed before the Lord to war, and will go all of you armed over Jordan before the Lord until he hath driven out his enemies from before him, and the land be subdued before the Lord, then afterward ye shall return and be guiltless before the Lord, before Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if ye will not do so, behold, Ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Build you cities for your little ones, and folds for your sheep, and do that which hath proceeded out of your mouth. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben spake unto Moses, saying, Thy servants will do as my Lord commandeth. Our little ones, our wives, our flocks, and all our cattle shall be there in the cities of Gilead. But thy servants will pass over every man armed for war, before the Lord to battle, as my Lord saith. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to be here this morning. Father, I pray that you would help us in our motivation. Help us to live our lives motivated by you. Help the distractions of this world to never get in the way of what you're trying to do in our lives and in this world. And Father, I pray that you would help us keep our focus because we love you. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. We're so thankful for it. For the opportunity that we have to have a relationship with you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What makes you tick? Here in this passage, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh come to Moses and say, Listen, we want to stay on the east side of Jordan. We want to stay where we are. We've already conquered much of the land. And so we want to stay here, and Moses gets right upset with him. What are you talking about? Are you kidding me? This is the same thing that happened in Kadesh Barnea. I thought we already went through this 40 years ago. This is why we're here now. This is why we traveled. This is why we wandered through the wilderness. What is wrong with you? You're going to discourage the hearts of the people. Now, I believe I've studied this for many hours this week. I believe that the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh were not wrong to stay on the east side of Jordan. We often think that they should have gone into the promised land and they were wrong to not enter over or cross over the Jordan to the west side of the promised land. I could not find that anywhere. In fact, the Bible says there in verse 22 that they will be guiltless before the Lord. And so if you ever want to talk about that, I've done an immense amount of study and wrote it all down. We can talk about it. But let me tell you this. There was a motivation behind these people. There was a motivation behind these three tribes, two and a half tribes, that they wanted to do something. What was that motivation? 
How did they get there? I want to give you three words to describe and help you establish your motivation. Number one, simply initiate. Initiate. Why will I go? Why am I doing this? Why am I starting? What initiated the children of Israel to leave Egypt and go in search of the promised land? Let's go way back. Let's go as far back as we possibly can. What started this whole thing? What started them leaving Egypt? What started them wandering through the wilderness? What started them now thinking, I want to stop here and I want to look at this land and I want to take this land? What was it? What started this whole endeavor? Most people think that it started in Genesis chapter 12. So let's turn over there. Genesis chapter 12. This is Abraham. God gives Abraham a promise. Genesis chapter 12. Look in verse 7 if you would. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7. The Bible says this. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed, listen, watch, will I give this land. There's the promise. Unto thy seed will I give this land. God comes down of no reason whatsoever and says, Unto thy seed, Abram, I'm going to give you this land. So what initiated this? What I want you to see is not only that God made this promise, but the second part of this verse, and there... Builded he, being Abraham, an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. It continues on in Genesis chapter 13. Look at verse 14. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it, and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Again, he gives them a promise of, you're going to have a land. You're going to have something that you can own, and your seed will own. But look at what Abraham does. Then Abram removed his tent, and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron. Watch, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Genesis chapter 15, it continues, verse 7. And he, being God, said unto him, being Abraham, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. The promise is land, but I want you to compare this verse with Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came on Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield, and what? Thy exceeding great reward. So God is promising Abraham a land. He is promising something that he can uh, really see. He's, he's looking at it. I will give you this land. Walk it. Go through it. Anything that you can see, that's what I'm going to give you. But every single time I want you to notice, every single time he built an altar, every single time he looked to go toward God, God was his reward. God was his focus. What initiated this? What initiated this? It wasn't just a promise from God. It was a man that had a walk with God. It was a man that spent time with God. 
But so often we get sidetracked just a little bit and we look at the product instead of the promise and looking at God and saying, God, I want you. I appreciate the promise. I appreciate what you can give me, but I want you. And that's exactly what Abram wanted. Abram wanted God. The children of Israel leave Egypt. They get out of heart bondage. Why did they leave Egypt? Why were they excited to leave Egypt? Well, wouldn't you be excited? Wouldn't you be excited if you were in 400 years of bondage and now you get to be a free person? And you get to go into a land that flows with, with milk and honey? Wouldn't you be excited about that? All of these things in order, all of these things have initiated the process for the children of Israel. This is where they're coming from. This is what's going on in their life. What initiated the process for you? What initiated the process for you serving Christ? For me, it was my parents. My parents went to church. My parents spent time. That just initiated the process. That just started the ball rolling. What initiated it for you? What initiated you accepting Christ? Some people, it was fear of hell. What initiated the process? For some people, it was to have a better life. For some people, it was to gain heaven. What started, what initiated the process in your life? Why are you here at church this morning? What initiated that for you? Why did you choose to come here today? Something initiated that decision. Realize that in everything there's a motivation, but something initiates it. Something starts it. Maybe it was something bad that happened to you this week and you said, listen, I need to go to church. Maybe it was something good that happened to you and said, I want to tell everybody at church. I don't know what it is, but something initiated the process for you. I think it's always important to remember what initiated the process for you. Listen, I, I again, for me, it was my parents my parents initiated this whole process for me. I would not be here today without my parents. And it's good to look back at that and be thankful for that. But listen, if I lived my entire life based on my parents, I'd be in serious trouble. But I'm thankful for the initiation of it. And listen, married couples, you need to look back and remember why you fell in love with your spouse why you love them. That's a good thing to do. Go back to that time when you first met, when you first started dating, when you first got married and remember that and initiated that relationship. What was the spark for you? What initiated? Here it's easy to see that there was a man who loved God and God promised him something in his seed and these people held on to that promise. The second word I want you to see is incessant. Incessant literally means persistent. Persistence. So the question I have for this, not why am I going, but where will I stop? Where will I stop? How far will you go? How far will you go? Let me ask you a question. How many of you have kept looking for something after you found it? Let me say that again. How many of you have kept looking for something after you found it? You're all like, who would do that? That would be ridiculous, right? You're correct. That's ridiculous. We always say this. 
Where, my kids will come ask me, Daddy, did you see this? Where is this? I can't find it. And I'll say to them, it'll probably be in the last place you look. That's true. Follow me here, people. Come on, wake up. It'll be in the last place you look. How far will you go? This was the same question that Moses had for these two and a half tribes. Look with me in verse 6. The Bible says this, And Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Numbers 32 and verse 6, excuse me. I'll let you get over there. Numbers 32 and verse 6. So they come to them and say, this is, we want this east side to be our possession. Verse 6, and Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, listen, shall your brethren go to war? Here it is. And shall ye sit here? You're done? That's it? You're not going any further? You're not going to go across the Jordan River? And wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them? If you do this, if you stay here, you're going to discourage these people. You're you're just going to stop here? How far will you go? How persistent will you be? He accuses them. He accuses them of not... uh, uh, excuse me, of turning away from God and being selfish. Look, look with me at verse 11. Look what he says. Surely none of the men that came up out of Egypt from 20 years old and upwards shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob. Here, he, he blasts them. He says, because they have not wholly followed me. He, Moses is telling them a story for a reason. Listen. You have not wholly followed the Lord. And you're doing the same thing your fathers did. Verse 12, save Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite and Joshua the son of Nun. For they have wholly followed the Lord. You should be like Joshua and Caleb. Jump down to verse 15. He says, for if ye turn away from after him being God. If ye turn from God, he will yet again leave them in the wilderness. And ye shall destroy all this people. He's laying it on thick. You are responsible for two to three million people and them not conquering the promised land. You realize what decision you're making? You're not going to follow God. You're going to come away from him and you're going to stop here? What's your motivation? What motivates you? If, If, let's look at their answer. Their answer proves their motivation in verse 16. They came near unto him. By the way, I love that. It's as if they're standing back a little bit and having a conversation. And when they mean something, you ever notice that when somebody means something, they either lean in or they take a step forward? Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling here today. When they really mean something, they take a step forward. Look, at, and they came near unto him and said, we will build sheepfolds here for our cattle and cities for our little ones, but... We ourselves will go ready, armed before the children of Israel. Until we have brought them unto their place and our little ones shall dwell in the fenced cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return unto our houses until the children of Israel have inherited every man his inheritance. This proves their motivation. Listen, hear me. If their motivation was only to possess land then they would stop, correct? Their possession is on the east side of the Jordan. 
If that was their only reason for doing anything, then they would have stopped there. This proves their motivation. It it begs another motivation. There had to be something greater that was motivating them. There had to be something greater that was monopolizing their mentality. Moses pulls it out. Moses pulls it out and describes it to them. Numbers 32, look at verse 20. Moses said unto them, If ye will do this thing, if ye will go armed before the Lord to war, and will go all of you armed over Jordan before the Lord, until he hath driven out his enemies before him, and the land be subdued before the Lord, then afterward ye shall return and be guiltless, before the Lord and before Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. Verse 23, but if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Jump down to verse 27, but thy servants will pass over every man armed for war before the Lord to battle as my Lord saith. Are you getting the picture yet? Before the Lord. Before the Lord. Before the Lord, before the Lord, against the Lord. Listen, if you don't do this thing, you're sinning against God. If you do it, you're doing it before God. He describes their motivation. Listen, their motivation was God. Their motivation was, I want to please God. I want to do what's right. Listen, their motivation was not to possess land. Because if that was their motivation, they would have stopped right there. Their motivation was to move on past that and do what it was that God had intended for them to do. Let me ask you a question. When God is your motivation, when and where will you stop? When God is your motivation, when and where will you stop? Let me, t- let me tell you something. You will never stop. You will never stop. You know why? Because God is eternal. It just keeps going and going and going and going. It will never stop. It will just continue. It will go. It will move forward. God is your motivation. God is endless. He's eternal. Psalm 42.1, as a heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. It doesn't say until I'm full. It just says I'm continually panting after the water brooks and my soul just wants you. It's continual. It's always. It's incessant. It's persistent. You just keep going and you just keep searching and your motivation should be God and it should just keep you going. The problem is our motivation changes. Does your motivation ever change? My motivation changes hourly sometimes. Man, I'm really tired. Man, I'm really hungry. Man, I'm thirsty. Man, I'm hot. Man, I'm this. Our motivation changes constantly. The children of Israel's motivation changed in Kadesh Barnea. When they were looking in the promised land, they sent 12 spies in and they came back and discouraged the heart of the people. Their motivation changed. All of a sudden, they're not going into the promised land. They were discouraged by something they saw. They took their eyes off of God, Moses says here. 
We see their motivation change not from here but further. Even further into the future, we see that their motivation change and they start worshiping Baal. They start worshiping other gods and we see them leaving the inhabitants of the land, not conquering those people. And they begin worshiping those gods and they begin intermarrying. Motivation changes. I want to take you over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Look at verse 4. God even gives them a little bit of information that, hey, be careful, your motivations can change. Deuteronomy chapter 6, look at verse 4, the Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Hey, this is what you need to focus on. This is what needs to be your motivation. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently, diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and thou shalt be, they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Listen. Keep it in front of you. Keep your motivation incessant. Keep it persistent. Keep it there. And it shall be, verse 10, when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land, which he swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not. You're going to gain some possessions. And houses full of good things, which thou fillest not. And wells digged, which thou diggest not. Vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full. Here it is, verse 12. Then beware. Lest thou forget what the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. You see, our motivations can change. Motivations change when our desires change. Motivations change when our desires change. You say, Pastor Owens, duh. We all know that we're not, we're not dumb, we're not ignorant. But listen, often, often in our lives, we say, yep, God is my desire. But over here, we're doing something different. If we say that we're in the light, but we walk in darkness, the Bible says that we lie and do not the truth. So let me ask you. Can you be incessant? Can you be persistent? How far will you go? Where will you stop? You see, their motivations changed. Again, remember back to just a few chapters ago. When they were committing whoredoms with the daughters of Moab and Midian. Their motivation changed. They stopped looking to God. So, how far will you go? Number three, we've seen initiate, incessant. I want to see number three, third word is intensity. Intensity. What will stop me? What is, it, what is going to stop me? I want you to notice this passage, Numbers 32, back to Numbers 32. And I want you to see something. 
how intense were these children of Reuben and children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh? How intense were they? Verse 32, look at verse 16. We've read it three times already. I want you to see something else. And they came near unto him and said, we will build sheepfolds where? Here. Here for our cattle. And cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will go ready armed before the children of Israel until we have brought them unto their place. Here it is. And our little ones shall dwell in the fenced cities. Because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return under our houses until the children of Israel have inherited every man his inheritance. Jump down to verse 25. They say much the same thing. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben spake unto Moses, saying, Thy servants will do as my Lord commanded. Our little ones, our wives, our flocks, and all our cattle shall be there in the cities of Gilead. But thy servants will pass over every man armed before, for war before the Lord to battle, as my Lord saith. You see, when Moses talked to them, he accused them of being faithless. He accused them of being selfish. He accused them of discouraging the hearts of the people around them. But in fact, but in fact, they didn't let that stop them. Some of us come up against a little bit of raz, a little bit of humiliation, and a little bit of accusation, and we shrivel. They didn't. In fact, I believe they were even more intense than that in, in saying, listen, I don't care what you say, Moses. I don't care what the leader says. They were even more intense than this. Think about this. They left their elderly, their wives, and their children, and their flocks, and their lands in Gilead. And every, listen, they say this, every able-bodied man was to cross the Jordan and fight. Do you realize what they just did? They left people, their family, their friends, their possessions, everything they ever had valuable to them. They left that in trust to God. In fact, they were more faithful than the rest of the children of Israel because they said, listen, we have no one there to protect them anymore. There's nobody there to protect. Listen, they didn't wipe out every person in the entire world. There were still the Assyrians and there were still Syria and all kinds of other people around them that could attack their family. And they said, listen, we trust God and we are so intense and we want to see God do something so great that we are willing to leave behind our families. We are willing to leave behind everything we've ever known. And that God promised us to do what God wants us to do. That's intensity. That's something special that we just don't see anymore. Let me ask you, how intense is your motivation to serve God? How intense are you to do what God wants you to do? What will it take to stop you from serving him? What will keep you from doing his perfect will in your life? Is it a job? Is it a family member? Is it a hobby? Is it a lifestyle? For some, it's a trial. For some, it's a setback. Listen to me. I believe this with all my heart. If God is your motivation, 
and you are incessant with him, Romans chapter 8 tells us that we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors through him that loved us. What shall separate us from that? Nothing. Tribulation? No, not that. Death? No, not that. Life? No, not principalities, not powers, not anything can separate us from the love of God. When we are focused on him and he is our motivation, nothing will separate us. Not even our families. Not even our possession. Not even what God promised us. God, you promised to give me life and to give it more abundantly. How come I'm sick? How come I'm in financial ruin? doesn't matter, God. I just want you. I just want you. I'm going to show you one last passage, and I'm through. Joshua 22. Joshua 22. Verse 1. Joshua 22 and verse 1. Then Joshua called the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Watch said unto them, ye have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. Ye have not left your brethren these many days unto this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God hath given rest unto your brethren, as he promised them. Therefore now return ye and get you Unto your tents, and unto the land of your possessions, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave on the other side, Jordan. They did it. They did it. They stayed faithful. They followed through. Listen, guys. Things are going to come. Things are going to go. But don't let your motivation sway from God. It will change your life. When God is your motivation. It will be an incredible. It was as, as if these minor things of life just won't matter. Listen. Do you think that they cried when they left? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Perhaps they did. But I know they just wanted to do what God wanted them to do. And they crossed over the Jordan River and they saw God do amazing things. And they did what God wanted them to do. And and if you will, at the end of conquering, they got to heaven, if you will. And God said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Here's your possession. Here's everything that you ever wanted. But folks, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness And all these things shall be added unto you. What is your motivation to conquer? Is your motivation just to have the blessings of God? Or is it just to have a bigger church? Or is it just to have financial stability? Is it just to have a happy marriage? All of those things are good things. But God, if your motivation is God, it is a far more worthy motivation. Your motivation is important. Because your motivation monopolizes your mentality. Let me ask you, what makes you tick? What keeps you going? 
How much intensity do you have in that? What's your motivation? Let's pray.